I got to learn a little bit about that. And then, yeah. and then they're like, oh, that's so awesome. And it just keeps going like back and forth. It's like, it's like tennis. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, it's just a rally. It's a good, that's a good point. It's just a rally of good ideas, conversations, getting to know students. You know what I mean? And the idea hopefully is to do that for every student. You know, if not at least the teachers, at least us, at least we can offer that to where students, like we're, we're, I'm hoping that, you know, what I do as a teacher is I push students to realize they have agency in their learning and they always will. It's not just in these walls of Haitikai. It's not even in college, just in college, because college also is not forever. Just have agency in what you want to do and what you want to learn. Hopefully that's something that sticks with them forever. This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton. Today's episode is reported by my colleague Brent Spurnack, who's the High Tech High Graduate School of Education's multimedia ethnographer. Brent, who'd you talk to? I spoke with Rachel Angelis from High Tech High Media Arts. Brent, why'd you want to talk to Rachel? Rachel is in the graduate school um, cohort with myself. And every time I talk to her, um, we have an individual conversation. I feel like she has awesome things to say. So I asked her if she wanted to be a part of the podcast and I was not let down. She had amazing things to say. What were the big takeaways from the conversation? Rachel had a way of just talking about her practice and her craft and how she communicates with students and the relationships and the trust that she tries to build in order to just make them better critical thinkers. All right, let's roll it. Rachel teaches 11th grade humanities, and this is her fifth year in the classroom. She started out at the same school as an academic coach before transitioning to teaching. She had many impactful observations of ed specialists and teachers the year before she taught, which pushed her to become a teacher. Her then-director believed in her to grow into a dynamic teacher, but another characteristic of the school is what ultimately attracted her. The sense of belongingness, especially with those people, is, is, is runs deep and it's really strong. And that's one of the main reasons why I don't want to work anywhere else right now. The teacher autonomy piece is, is, is another strong piece because I, for one, don't like being, <laughs> I don't, I for one don't like being told what to do. And I sure as I wouldn't want to be told what to do in terms of curriculum and content and projects, right? What page and, to be on. Yeah. You're going to be on this page today. <laughs> I would hate that. And I would also hate kind of just showing off whatever, every single lesson I'm doing just to prove that I'm like a worthy teacher, right? And so the teacher autonomy piece where, where um, ideally our, our leaders trust us and what we're doing with students and students trust us too is a big piece for me that stays because I can adapt and adjust the curriculum and the content, especially in such a, for example, in such a year right now, like in distance learning, I've got, obviously you've got to adapt. And in such a, like what we just experienced, the election, right, which is supposedly almost over. But, you know, I've adapted the the curriculum, the content, the reading, the resources to that, to my, to my juniors, to what they wanted to talk about, to the current events. And so I love that I'm able to do that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people, students, or excuse me, teachers can do that in other spaces too. But what High Tech High has proven to me, or at least with the teacher autonomy is I can do what I want and I think I do that pretty well. Yeah, you, t- you touched on something right there that I guess I don't think about a lot is um, autonomy with your students. Uh-huh. Like we always talk about teachers can, you know, do what they want. They can teach what they want, teach their passions. But um, 
Yeah, talk more about like that responsiveness to student feedback and then you can be flexible and adjust, right? Students, if they're not engaged with a project, an assignment, I'm not sure how authentic the work is there, right? And that ideally in a space like High Tech High and in, in, in what we've got in terms of teacher autonomy, the work is supposed to be authentic, right? And so it's authentic when there's a buy-in. It's authentic when it, there's connection. It gives them agency. And it empowers students to really feel like, oh, wait a minute, like, oh, my opinion matters, my story matters, my experiences matter, right? My history, my family history matters. And I think that that's so important because I can't just throw this a, a curriculum together or choose a book to where I think that every student is going to engage or if I'm going to force them to engage with it, right? That's a disservice. Like, that's hard. It's hard on students, right? And it would be even hard on the teachers because we're not even, and by doing that, I'm not getting to know students. I'm not amplifying their voices, their experiences. And so by allowing students to kind of be essentially co-creators almost, right, listening to them about what they want to listen to or what they want to learn, what they want to do is important for my classroom and for them because then they're engaged. Then, then teaching actually becomes so enjoyable when they're engaged and they're the ones who, who have agency. Yeah, because then it's like, it's like you're pushing each other, right? Like they're yeah. like, I want to do this. Okay, you're like, I gotta, I gotta learn a little bit about that, and then, yeah, and then they're like, oh, that's so awesome, and it just keeps going like back and forth. It's like, it's like tennis. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, it's just a rally. It's a good. That's a good point. It's just a rally of good ideas, conversations, getting to know students. You know what I mean? And the idea, hopefully, is to do that for every student. You know, if not, at least the teachers, at least us, at least we can offer that to where students, like we're, we're, I'm hoping that, you know, what I do as a teacher is I push students to realize they have agency in their learning and they always will. It's not just in these walls of Haitikai, it's not even in college, just in college, because college also is not forever. Just have agency in what you want to do and what you want to learn. Hopefully that's something that sticks with them forever. Next, after Rachel understands students' stories and interests, she structures conversations by providing prompts or frames, and then she steps back. And the way that those conversations happen in my class are just by introducing them, right? So there's some, you know, in terms of like my autonomy, in terms of what I, I'm hoping for students to learn, I'm hoping them to understand. I, I use a lot of current events in the class, right? To hopefully teach history, to teach what matters, to teach what's going on and how they're making sense of it. Obviously, just given the election, students understood and learned and revisited perhaps the electoral college, the differences between um, leaders. Why do we elect narcissistic leaders, right? Why does somebody like Kanye West get to say, hey, I'm going to run for president, right? And then all of a sudden his name's on the ballot, right? Why is it that it's only two white men who's, who's up, the, the, the position of president is up for grabs by these two white men, right? And so those are the conversations I like having in the classroom. And I push for juniors to have those conversations because there's never going to be a moment in time and in what I've noticed in history for sure, but there's never going to be a moment in time where we're like, oh, we did it. We made it. We're good. That's done, right? Same thing with this election. While, yes, it's going to be a new administration, that's not it. There's more work to be done. And that's what I want students to recognize is like, who's really represented here? What more work needs to be done and who's in charge of that work, right? Is it the administration or is it the students, right? Is it their families? It's their communities? So in terms of just how conversations are facilitated, I like to drop it like an ounce of like a prompt to initiate a conversation, some sort of framework, right? And they kind of they go from there. 
I love Socratic seminars. That's difficult to do in distance learning. But when we were in class, like physically in class, that was really great. Some students love, love listening to their own voice and, you know, dominating conversations while others really only want to talk to their friends. And so how I would facilitate classroom conversations or discussions is we would have small Socratic seminars where it would be three to four people. And then we would work our way up to having large classroom Socratic seminars. Or we wouldn't even have to call it a Socratic seminar. It would just be back and forth, back and forth to where I'm not even leading the discussion. I'm just asking questions, right? So I really tried to put it in the hands and in the minds of the students. Like, you're in charge of this conversation, right? I can steer it in different ways by asking different questions, but really the students are the ones in charge of the conversation. And I think that's the best thing. That's the one thing I really miss about being physically in, in the classroom is just watching body language, watching students react. But, you know, I still get... I get a really good chunk of powerful and meaningful classroom discussion still via Zoom. So how do you like as a teacher talk about like difficult stuff? Like I assume like, you know, in your class there may be diverse voices, especially like with the election. But for example, like, um, you know, how do you just discuss like race per se? Like how do you, how do you facilitate that? Those conversations I I look forward to those kinds of conversations so much. And the reason why is because there's a part of me that doesn't have to do so much because this generation of students, like this young generation who are just like fired up, who notice that, um, yes, we live in a diverse, like ideally we, people think we live in a, a, a diverse world and that that doesn't apply to everybody. And that that equality and equity and diversity and inclusion doesn't apply to everybody. I am very lucky to be a teacher with this generation because they already know that. And they know that not only because they're on social media or the things that they're consuming, such as, you know, text, or excuse me, uh, like books, uh, videos, whatever, art resources, but they know that because so many of them experience it, right? So I like to push that students' experiences are primary sources. It's not only just what we're reading and what we're watching and things like that, but students' experiences, um, I think, are such beautiful primary sources to which a lot of them have experienced and still experience want racism, right? A lot of them still experience um, sexism. A lot of them, all the isms, right? Um, and so on one hand, I'm so lucky that they are confident and empowered to speak on those issues because they can connect it to the short stories, like I just told you, like the short stories that we're talking about. They can connect it to the projects, to the assignments, um, to the classroom discussions. I definitely frame conversations, hard conversations, difficult ones, whether it's about race, gender, um, you know, whatever hard topic that is, I definitely frame it to where the purpose of the conversation is to think critically. It's not necessary to think that one is right or wrong, unless it's like completely, like if it's just like hate speech and like all, all the, like the battle between somebody's life, like that's different, right? But in terms of kind of debating, I'm going to use a short story that I used today in class, uh, Little Things Are Big. By Jesus Colon, the, the, to summarize the story is about 
a black and Puerto Rican man in the 1950s having this internal dilemma of whether or not he wants to help a white woman on the subway. And ultimately he doesn't, but he has this internal conflict and he's thinking about his external identity, his internal identity, his ethnic identity. He's thinking about all of that stuff. And so I pose those questions, I pose these kinds of topics to students to where there's a level of open-endedness, right? It's not like, oh no, he's wrong, he should have helped. Or he's right, he shouldn't have helped because he was of darker skin and it was late at night or whatever. I pose these questions to where I want students to think of the layered answers and that there's not just one answer. I pose these questions to where, okay, so what next and how come, right? How are you summarizing um, the main facts from, from a controversial story or topic? How are we analyzing that? And how are, how are we reflecting on how that applies to our lives, to our community's lives, our family's lives, or even our peers' lives, right? So I just can't speak enough about this generation and how they're just so empowered to get their voices out. And I'm so lucky to, to use that as, you know, as almost leverage to further classroom discussions and also as a, as a major, major, major learning point for me. continuing theme that is happening throughout Rachel's class, simply put, is... How are we making sense of everything that's thrown at us? I really loved how one of my students, who I, she identifies as somebody who is progressive, who supports black and brown communities, supports the... She, she identifies as being a part of the LGBTQIA community, and she grew up very Catholic. She's just recently opened up to me that she's trying to make sense of that at age 16, right? And how are you supposed to navigate your existence with that? I, don't ha I, I sure as hell don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer for that. I want students to, to get used to being in those spaces of like, oh, crap, how am I going to make sense of this? How am I going to make sense of my privilege versus my, one of my best friends who doesn't have as much privilege as I do? Or the color of my skin versus my best friend's color. How am I making sense of all of this, right? And I want students to get into that space because you're going to try to make sense of so much as you get older, right? You're just, yeah, it sounds like you're just making them into, they're, they're not passive anymore, right? They're act actively like thinking right. and they're like, okay, let's get your feet on the ground and like yeah. get get moving, get making sense of it. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah, thanks for saying it like that because that's exactly what I, I want them to do, especially as upperclassmen, right? Like I want them just to, how are you making sense of it? Push back on me too if you need to. How are you, just what are we making sense out of here? It's not necessarily, it's not to say one one is right, one is wrong. It's just how are you making sense of this, right? Because we've been told that it is, it's only, it's black or white or we've been told it's, only two sides of a story, but that's, we know that that's not true. How are you making sense of this? How are you using your voice to then make sense of it and also share that, right? How are you using your mind um, and all that stuff? So how, I just, I just want to know how they're doing that. Hi Unboxed is normally written and edited by me, Alec Patton, but today's episode was all Brent Spurnak. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel, and today's additional music is also by Brent Spurnak. 
You can find a link to the short story that Rachel talked about, Little Things Are Big by Jesus Colon, in our show notes. Thanks for listening.